one can eat ice cream. Oh, wrong movie. Hold on. In space, no one can hear you scream, but they can hear Slasher's podcast if they put these fucking earbuds in. Am I right, goons? Uh I was going to say ice cream again. (laughs) (laughs) So we are doing Alien. And it's kind of weird because I feel like I'm reliving one of my wife and my first dates and Chad is here now. Yeah. Mr. Mixelpick, the (laughs) Cheshire cat sitting there like leering at me. Mm. So wife, is this going to be as romantic as I think it is? (laughs) At least you feel kind of voyeuristic. Lucky with me. Huh? I know. Seriously. I feel like, okay. So I feel like I'm going to accidentally reach over to touch you, but then I'm going to hold Chad's hand, which will be like a repeat of the of a, a similar situation with Laura. So my wife's my matron of honor. <laughs> These are why. This, have I, told, I think I've told the story, at least in reference. But when we were first dating, we were watching Seven and I had put it on a projector outside and then we were like, this is really inappropriate if some like child in the nearby neighborhood should like see the bladed dildo strap on thing. <laughs> so we went inside and then I thought that I was touching my would-be wife's leg and it was her best friend. And she's like, ooh, getting fresh. <laughs> oh my God damn it. And what pisses me off even more, you know, I am a very proud person. I really don't like being embarrassed. Shocker. And what bothers me most about that night is not that. It's that this lady falls asleep and wakes up for the what's in the box and misses all of the tension of the movie. She did the exact same thing with Usual Suspects. I'm like, you are missing the point. Like, these are why you watch these movies. And she's like, oh, okay. Kaiser Sosa. Cool. What's up? God damn it. So anyway, it's going to be a romantic date. And all right. Chad, you're going to be like a little waiter. Yeah, it works. Garçon. He did bring us snacks, so. Brought you snacks. Oh, that's true. Sorry yeah, about it. My ass was flying all across America, two flights in one day, get home to find my would-be best friend <laughs> and my wife watching British Bake Off without me. That's infidelity, motherfuckers. Uh, yep. That's that's some bullshit. Yeah, don't tell my wife. <laughs> Is this like some kind of weird swingers thing you guys have established while I was out of the county? Do you know who wrote the In Space No One Can Hear You Scream? No. Please Copywriter Barbara Gibbs, which I just really wanted to say, Gibbs. It's a fun last name. Hmm. Is there anything else she did ever? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I liked saying it. I didn't like Googling it. Okay. Not that I tried Googling it at all. I just liked the name Barbara Gibbs. Go <laughs> try it. Say it. Barbara Gibbs. Jad, your it's turn. the last name. Barbara Gibbs. We're coming to get you, Barbara <laughs> Gibbs. <laughs> <laughs> it's good times. So, yeah, going back to this movie, this was like a barometer test when Sierra and I were first dating. was like, oh, let's see if she can handle Alien. Because it's spooky, but it's not overtly terrifying. Like, it's not too grotesque. And one of the things is this movie is so referential in modern media that most of the big scares and stuff have already been given away. So people are more waiting for those beats as opposed to being legitimately scared of them. What I didn't know I is that... I still jumped this time. Oh, it was so good. <laughs> but like, at least at the time we watched it the first time, Sierra did not illustrate to me that she has an immunity to sci-fi horror. Yes. Yeah. She is fine with anything sci-fi horror. She's like, oh, this is a pussy shit dog. She says that all the time. She just walks around my house saying pussy shit dog. It's crazy. It's a true nickname fact. for you. Yeah, exactly. I'm pussy shit dog. <laughs> my point being, then we go and watch something like The Duke, and she's like, ah! <laughs> so weird. You definitely peacocked me a little bit 
or was it honey potted me? I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, this this this, like, this broad can hang. That's the right. Yeah, there's honey pot and honey dick. Yeah, I found that out, and so you are honey pot. Can you guess why? An anatomical reference. Yeah, no, I was thinking that, and I was like, I don't <laughs> think exactly I want to know. You know, yeah, you knew. <laughs> so shall we start with some trivia for this movie? Yes, let's do it. Okay, guess what? Jake read a book. Jake does no. this for every fucking episode. He goes too far when it comes to research. <laughs> there was a lawsuit that was filed by A.E. Van Vaught, and he claimed plagiarism from his 1939 story, Discord in Scarlet, which was incorporated into a 1950 novel, Voyage of the Space Beagle. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> yeah. He settled out of court. For sure. <laughs> a lot of people think that, oh, they settled out of court. That means that they definitely lost, and it's definitely plagiarism. Not necessarily. No. You'd have to show that Dan O'Bannon actually had seen this or read this or was aware of it in some capacity because there's the incidental clause and omissions. This goes back to the Wes Craven case yes. where the guy was like, oh, yeah, well, we both did horror movies. That's the that omissions clause. That had nothing clause. to do with anything. Yeah. Exactly. So it's this movie had like, it. Stop bugging us legally. Back off. Exactly. Right. The, yeah. the cost of litigation isn't worth being right. I often right. say that to clients. It's in a court of law. You can prove that you've won. But it's like arguing with your spouse where, yeah, you prove that you're right. <laughs> but it cost you in the long run. Because whether it's Not bitterness sure. or finances, you're <laughs> fucked. Exactly. <laughs> Nobody knows that better than my wife. So it's actually a sequel of the same guy's novella, Black Destroyer, which is from the July 39 issue of Astounding. Now, these are some things I want to talk about. The, the key points. It's not entirely ripped off. The alien's name does start with an X, like Xenomorph. And that's really low on the totem as far as similarities. So it involves the perspective of a dormant arachnid creature from a long since dead society of aliens or whatever these actually predate the big bang so in alien you have no idea how long those eggs have been there right you know you have the stargazer but the stargazer is clearly not that race yes. the stargazer is dead because of or the space jockey whatever right. you want to call it then it also involves the alien getting on board the ship undetected planting mm -hmm. eggs in the stomach of the crew hmm. it then goes out to space and it gets uh, jettisoned into space, and the egg dies from flamethrowers. That's wow. basically this movie. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that is really close. It's a very short read. You can find it in full text online all over the place. It's worth reading. Just It's very interesting. Some of the phrasing is kind of eloquent, but then some of it's a little redundant. You're like, eh, whatever. If it's a breezy read, I think it's very fun to like open the cosmic spaces of your mind to like digest alien, bruh. I'm always curious like with cases like this, like if it's such a small piece of work, like writing, do you really think that somebody like had read it and then came up with this movie? You know, like because they've done this with like Harry Potter and things like that. It's like, do you really think someone would have come across this? Yeah, I don't even think so. We kind of talked about it before we started tonight where I said there are so many movies like this that are just right. B movies. Right. And you're kind of like that even predate this one. And I think it's just they're pulling from a whole bunch of different sources and it's not super original, but they did it well in the movie. Yeah, the craftsmanship is what's good about this, not the originality. Right. So Dan O'Badden is actually famous for having said, quote, I didn't steal Alien from anybody. I stole it from everybody. So some of the okay, references see? he's openly referenced. So there's the thing from another world, which John Carpenter's The Thing reference. Mm -hmm. You might recall, I've talked about it before, that Dan O'Bannon and John Carpenter worked on Dark Star together. Mm -hmm. They were allies. Then because of Dark Star, they fissured and separated. They still kept in content, but it was kind of a tete-a-tete -tete where it was a gamesmanship, one beating the other. So you have Alien, years later you have The Thing. And it's kind of that back and forth that goes on. 
O'Bannon was an artist of the craft. Like he loves the sci-fi genre. He worked very importantly on the set dressing for Dark Star, for Star Wars, and then he goes to Jodorowsky's Dune. We'll get into that in a bit. But some of the things that he referenced, so there's the thing from the other world, which we already know John Carpenter did. There's Forbidden Planet, which has the idea of the crew being killed one by one by a mysterious alien. I watched that one. It's weird. Yeah, it's not again, that it's like a B movie. Yeah. Some of the art design is cool in it, but it's pretty yeah. weak altogether. Planet of the Vampires, also weak, also yep. just crappy B-movie. But in it, there is a giant skeleton, which is a big set piece for that movie. Hmm. And the space jockey for this is very important when it comes to production value. And it means fucking nothing. Yeah. like It adds to lore that's never explained. Then he also has another influence called The Junkyard from a 1953 short story by Clifford D. Simak, which basically is a crew that lands and finds a bunch of aliens, their eggs specifically. Strange Relations by Philippe Jose Farmer from 1960, which covers alien reproduction. And then he outright said he loved EC Comics, whether it's Weird Tales, Tales from the Crypt, Two-Fisted Tales. So this dude loved Pulp and he loved that. So I really do think it's very likely that he read those stories. Really? I truly do. I don't think that it's bland coincidence, but, you know, he took a short story and turned it into something full feature length and added to it. Also, he didn't write this movie alone. This wasn't his original idea. Mm -hmm, There were multiple movies he was working on, and it was his writing partner who said, hey, let's combine your movie ideas. Let's add that one idea that you had with the gremlins on the B-52 and put it in with this other thing. And it was only in return for... O'Bannon helping him with one of his scripts. So really, right. this is, it's a hodgepodge. Yeah, and it's also one of those things that if you are reading so much content, like even me, I listen to so many podcasts, audiobooks, and all that. As soon as I slow down for a second, they kind of just blend together. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, I don't even know where this was from, but I think it's original. And you're like, oh no, I just read that, you know, two months ago. Yeah. So he probably was like, yeah, this seems like maybe it's a little original or I'm pulling it from somewhere, but I don't remember where or what in full context it came from. And we've talked about it before when it comes to like Renaissance art, right? In the Renaissance period, if you didn't do very specific tropes, you weren't classified as art. You right, failed. Correct. Yes. yes. When it comes to sci-fi, a lot of old sci-fi is very regimented. You have to have these themes. You have to have these elements. You have to have this type of act structure. Hmm. So it's almost just to have the credentials to be sci-fi. He almost has to have that pulp nature to it. But this is what I was talking about. This is what happens when you have an artist do what would otherwise be schlock. Yeah. We'll get into a lot of that as we move on. Uh, Walter Hill was one of the producers on this. He had a huge impact on this movie being diversified. And he was also very blunt about the chestburster scene was completely influenced by Tales from the Crypt, which we obviously just did an episode on. If you haven't checked it out, please support us and do that as we branch into other things. Hence, oh, I didn't say it. A Slasher's podcast, a movie, uh, a slash, Slasher's <laughs> podcast, a podcast about movies and more for those who love horror. There you go. <laughs> uh, um, podcasts about movies and slut holes for those who love buttholes. Hey, there you go. It's better. Huh? Hey, yo, Chad's being quiet. He's afraid that because my wife is here, that somehow her cosmic link to my baby's going to wake her up. We yep. are fine. It's after, it's slashes after dark. And I'm keeping and my eyes on Jake because I think she's judging me with everything I say. So. <laughs> no, I'm judging my husband. Oh, okay. oh, yeah. What was it that I said? You just said buttholes. Pussy shit yeah. dog. Oh, yeah. No, that was not. Okay. And I normally fart it. continuously, but since she's here, I'm like, I guess I got to hold it in. <laughs> Thanks. Don't give my wife pink eye, please. <laughs> normally, I'd be like, let her rip dog, but not this one. No. 
So in, if you look at the franchise, including Aliens vs. Predator, Prometheus, Alien Covenant, the movie has grossed $590,192,754 at the box office, which adjusted for inflation is $1,090,050,300. And I believe it because I've seen all those multiple times. <laughs> and for this is the thing. You look at that, you're like, oh, well, that's like Spider-Man Homecoming. These are all R-rated. Right. Well, except for the AVP series. I think that's PG-13. It is. But the point being... The first one, the second one, I think, is R. Requiem, yeah. yeah. Which was better, but not good. Yes. Actually, was it better? No, I think that one's worse because it's like the really crappy monster. I don't know. They, I don't like either of those. But They're I loved weird. the the uh, video game and the comics, so it's kind of asking to be disappointed, I thought. Right. See, I can't weigh in because I don't think I've seen them. I think I've probably purposefully hidden them from you. <laughs> I know that I made you watch Adrian Brody and Predators, and that was one that we yes. both liked. And there, I mean, I don't mind modernization and changing things and adapting. We've talked, there's all sorts of stuff that I enjoy, but yeah. like, I'm not going to watch the Predators. And I feel like because of the bad experiences with AVP is probably why I'm willing to set, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater there. Yeah. Another fun one in 2002, Alien was deemed culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant by the Library of Congress. And is now in the United States National Film Registry. Yes, I saw that. art, motherfucker. Yep, we made it. Nerds. <laughs> Sigourney Weaver, in 1987, received a Best Actress nomination for Aliens. And it was the first time that she'd ever played a role in an action movie. Wasn't it also like the first actress in a female-like role for action or something? Yeah, it was developing an entire subgenre. Right. Yeah. And she wasn't even originally a girl. Yeah. In the script. Correct. Yeah. The scripts. Yes. I read that all the names. I'm like, you can't just say that now. Right. Like, yeah, you yeah. Have to be she wasn't specific. a girl. <laughs> yeah. Originally, Ripley was Robbie, and it was only at the insistence of 21st Century Fox, specifically Walter Hill, that they changed it to Ripley. But I read that they had all the names written down as unisex, like they just didn't know who was going to play what. Hmm. And they could have been anyone, like Kane, except for like Greg or whoever it is. But or Brett. Brett, but it would have been Brit. Right. But specifically, Ripley would have been Robbie, would have been a boy. Right. Everybody else. So it's funny that they, they had androgynous names, but specifically they made this character. And Walter Hill also changed the names. Yeah. So that, that was, was like one. the main character, though. Like how different this movie would have been if it was a male lead. Yeah. You look at Dallas, right. you think that Dallas is going to be the hero if you have no idea. Yes. Right. And so when she becomes the unwitting hero, it's awesome. And also at the time, she was a very unknown actress. Yeah. And she had done like theater acting. And in the this production stills for this movie, this movie was so hush-hush that not even the dude who did the fucking novelization got to see production stills. So he's <laughs> describing stuff secondhand. Plus, in the beginning of the movie, they paint Sigourney Reaver as kind of a bitch. Yeah, exactly. So it's also weird because you're like, oh, well, she's going to die or she's not going to be mm -hmm. like the main character. Even though she's doing stuff correctly, but that sometimes comes across as like, you know, hey, you're annoying everyone. No one likes you. Square. You're gonna die. Yeah. Square. <laughs> Am I cool now? You're you're touching your husband. Okay. Yeah, it's, just yeah. making sure. And just in case Sorry. you haven't, if you want to read, I have my legs well <laughs> secured over here. Yeah. And it, the novelization was done by Alan Dean Foster, who has a pretty great repertoire of work. So do check that out if you can. But just know, not that great on this one. Other stuff is better. <laughs> Chad and I were talking behind your back before. The show started mm. all the, the time. Actually, I was, was like, like, I'm not surprised. <laughs> it was like all day. So he was like, are you sure you're going to be OK talking about the like rape text of this movie with your wife? And I was like, yeah, because it's all against men and they deserve it. Like, let me ask you in terms of your view of the film. A lot of people are consciously or unconsciously ignorant 
to the idea that this is a movie where it exploits rape fear in men, where the idea of being like penetrated is the worst thing that can happen. And truly, in the conception of this movie, they talked about the idea of a man being raped was probably the scariest thing that they could comprehend. And the fact that they then have to give birth, these are common fears that women have, but yet it is the most egregious thing that men have. How does that process to you? Does that vibe? <laughs> Do you- okay, expression I right now. <laughs> would never have read into that. You didn't ever. think about rape once? No. Crazy. But he is raped. He is penetrated. What? He's impregnated. He gives birth. That is what happens. It, it Inarguably. Yeah. So it's not really like anal rape, but... <laughs> But also, like, if you look at the face huggers anatomy, it is vaginal, yeah. but then it has when a phallus that goes it, into it's it. It's like, <laughs> it's crazy. It is a super weird thing to confront. And it, it's interesting to me that this thing that men constantly exploit in horror films, which drives us all crazy. Is this like a major fear for you? Is this how we read this in? Like, read it into it? No, it, there's like several, like, fully written papers about it. And oh, yeah. even like, really? yeah, even the people that made the movie talk about it. Yeah. It it's was very written to exploit this yeah. because Dan O'Bannon talked about how do you get the alien on the ship, right? There's a number of ways. You could do it like they did it in the book that he ripped right, off. Right, right. But instead, they do this very specific thing to exploit a well-established fear that men have that is so demonized that people are dissociating it from what it is. This dude is penetrated and raped and impregnated. There is no question about that. Sure, the gender, like the anatomy of these things is different. But it's people have tried to say, oh, well, it was actually it's truly inspired by tarantula wasps or whatever. No, it's not. You can from the horse's mouth. This is what it is. And it is meant to specifically exploit that fear that, you know, last house on the left. There are so many movies that do that. It's kind of, you know, fuck men. They deserve it. That's my stance on this. (laughs) You know, it doesn't bother you. You don't. I am still wrapping my mind around this. Like, that's just a very interesting Stance, and if you're telling, like, so you're saying that the director or the, who, the writer, the writer, the conception okay. of the movie specifically was planned around this to be the way that it gets in, and they specifically say rape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. He's to not me. consenting. He's held against his will. He's penetrated and impregnated. I mean, even when you look at the scan, the thing's going down his throat. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm. I <laughs> realize that John Hurt has no gag reflex after this. I know. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about it. I'm just, I mean, we'll it's, it's interesting. It like it's an interesting concept, like social, social almost like taboo. Justice down with like, the man. No, <laughs> but like, like a social quandary, like to throw out to, you know, like almost like, um, I'm thinking of the good place with all the questions. <laughs> oh, with moral all, yeah. Right. Right. That's the thing that is so fascinating to me is that like the idea of a man being raped is such that people automatically dissociate it. Like you think about movies where guys get raped. It's like Shawshank Redemption, American History X and Deliverance. But this American is American History X. No, no. The one where they're in prison. Uh, History X. No, there's another one. <laughs> American me. No. History uh, X. No, it's a different one. I'll look it up. Why? You don't want that search history on your phone. I got worse. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> well, the and funny thing about Jake clenches his buttocks. <laughs> well, the funny thing about this is when me and my wife started dating, we watched this movie as well. And I was like, yeah, I love this movie. And she was one that brought all that up to me. And I was like, really? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. That one totally works. <laughs> 
And I didn't even look at it past that, which was kind of funny. As a child, it never even occurred to me it was happening. It was just like, oh, well, he has an egg inside of him. And then you're like, well, that egg okay, is but implanted. Did, is, like, did this idea come into your brain because you watching it, like thought about it that way or because you read something and then viewed the movie differently? Aliens is what changed my perception of it because in Aliens you see the face hugger in a different way. It's held in this like cylindrical glass thing, and you mm-hmm. can see the shape of it. And it made me go like, "That's a p word." And then I stopped and thought about it, and then I reapply, I reverse engineered it from seeing the other one. But and what yeah. about you, Chen? Well, you said Emily. Br- okay. Yeah, my yeah, she brought it up to me, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that's weird." That's fine. Yeah. So when she brought it to me, I was like, "Oh yeah, that totally makes sense." And then she also showed me like all these articles that she read about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> and it's one thing to like interpret it that way. But when the, the writers themselves have come out to say, right, right, right. Obey right. has long since passed at this point. But the point is, is that they talked about it and they were, they consciously exploited this fear. I guess I unfairly kind of posited the question to you. It's like you said, it never even occurred to you. No, I don't even think that that's it. Like, I think that it just, I truly would never have thought that unless you had told me. Because because it's an alien life form, like because it's not human, maybe I just you dissociate because I mean, I don't feel like it. I don't know. I think it was more based on survival, whereas the general understanding or concept of rape is like you're doing it to be powerful. Right. Yeah. It's not to survive. So that's why I, I don't think that I would have ever thought about it like that or even like considered. Right. The yeah. Well, I mean, in this scenario, it would be like the like the last two people on Earth, and you have one person who isn't consenting, but the other person's doing it for the greater good. That's still non. But then you're talking about people, not an alien life form and a human life form. But through that intimacy, you achieve a new life form. That's procreation, baby. Okay, but is it a new life form? Well, if you go to the Prometheus standard, it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, well, that certainly right. changes things a bit. But yeah, now we're getting a little. Well, even in this movie. Ash says that it is his son. He's like, it's Kane's son. Ripley's like, what the fuck? Because he gave birth to it. <laughs> right. Because Ash is obviously crazy and weird. <sighs> but yeah. He's a robot. Yeah. But that's the right. thing. Because it's an, it's, but you know, he's, he, thinking he's of like it. binary code. Exactly. It's 101110. It's, it's, it's very simple. Right. Yeah. We'll move on. It's very weird, but there is a lot of really good literature out there and I encourage you to read it. And I also encourage you to like look at gender studies because yeah. the worst thing about horror, I think, has been the insistent exploitation of women. And in a movie, especially with a female lead, that makes it like the whole this movie, you could do a lot. Like women with. powers. Right. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, is it's it's almost resentfully female based when you mm. look at the construction of the movie because you have like what would have been the Ripley being a guy mm-hmm. and all these other factors that are played into it right. where it's like socially conscious yet socially regressive at the same time and then it is kind of streamlined to be something that is much more progressive than I think it would have been otherwise. Yeah. So like when I was researching this, I came across like this little like clip of I think it was with the writer where he was like the thing I most desperately needed to express was the challenge of like the male patriarchy imbalance where Kane gets raped instead by a face hugger and latches to his face and eggs are inserted. And then he gives birth to an alien and he said he just needed it to like jolt people into feeling unease. He said yeah, he literally uses the word birthing quote birthing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Did you guys view it like as a like birth? Well, I first saw this movie when I was like seven. What about you, so, Chad? I watched both my kids get born. It's very similar. No, I'm just kidding. 
Okay, but the, as like, <laughs> when did you first watch this movie? When you were uh, young? Yeah, when I was young. Probably too young. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I don't think that I had the concept of what birth was like, but I knew what violence was like. So I looked at it as a violent act. But then when you look at it later on, you're like, that is a very sexual act. Let's move on. We already said we would. <laughs> you look very perplexed. And I, there's I a lot still of... don't view it as birth, but that's fine. It's whatever. I mean, you... go, I've gone through it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's like somebody being in an MMA fight being like, here comes the boom is so fake. Am I right? <laughs> With Kevin James. <laughs> Here's a, a quote. There were things that happened to women that were suddenly transposed to Kane. I think that's what was being processed consciously. I don't know that the studio was thinking, oh, yeah, here's $11 million. Go make a male rape movie in space. <laughs> I <Yeah>. don't believe <laughs> O'Bannon, Geiger, and Scott were thinking along those lines. Right. No, I think, like, again, I, I think that if that word was never presented, then it would never have been considered. Okay. Like, to right. people investing, you know... There's just a lot of violence that is kind of weirdly sexual even. So like when Ash even goes insane and he's going to kill Sigourney Reaver, he's like shoving something down her throat to kill her. Yeah. And he's like the holding it that magazine. way. And you're I, like, that's so weird. And kind of like, I don't know. When Lambert is speared through the back with the tail, she arches her back in a very sexual way. <laughs> I'm not even trying to be weird. Why are you laughing at me? I'm trying to be. This is why I always just talk about right? butt fucking all the time. Because every time I try and say something legitimate, people are like, oh, Jake being weird. No, I understand what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. But you're disregarding but it because I'm full never, of shit. I just yeah. would have never read into that. But if you look well, at any of Geiger stuff anyway, he's really, that's another huge really thing. super weirdly sexual. Oh, yeah. talked about how uncomfortable it made it. <laughs> right. And how the whole design of the alien is to look like a penis. Look at its head. Well, uh, well right. Yeah. That I did see. but It's a dick it's inside not... of a dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, can we talk about that? <laughs> yeah. Statistics. Let's move on. <laughs> Getting awkward in here. See, Jed, but we got through it. Yeah, I, you were definitely concerned for good reason because I think we blinds you, the fact that it didn't occur to you. It speaks volumes because, like, if you ask people from 20th Century Fox at the time, I'm pretty sure they weren't like, "Wait, what? Rape? What?" I'm huh? sure they were like, "Oh, alien violence," like you thought. Right. But that's one of the things I think it flies under the radar and it ends up being much more impactful in terms of film history than I think that they even knew at the time. That's all. Statistics. Well, I understand why it was actually. Put into the film, what was it? Hall of Fame. Thank you. Is Nas it the Hall of Fame? No, the National History. Oh, okay, I was like, I was anyway. United States more, National Film Registry. It's, I don't know why I did a British accent more for that. Artful, <laughs> yeah, for the United States. So yeah, I mean, that makes more sense to me now. Statistics. Okay, well, the original budget <laughs> for the film was four point two million dollars. So Ridley Scott's like, we're never going to make a good movie with this. Yep. So he takes with the that story. amount of money. Yeah. 4.2 million is nothing. When you think about what the practical effects they achieve in this yeah, movie are no, crazy. That's... What they do, <laughs> oh, they do mind. storyboards and they base it on the French artist style Mobius, who's actually done some really cool Marvel comic stuff. Mobius was in that same thing. Take with Dan O'Bannon and H.R. Geiger. And they base all of these great, very visceral storyboards and he takes those 20th century fox he's like you sure you don't got some more change you can jangle my way palace <laughs> so they double it and then some so the budget ends up being 10.7 million dollars and they yeah. still used shitty string lights <laughs> yeah. on the nostromo that's all i'm saying 
So originally the movie opened in only 91 theaters, right? So that is a a pittance. And even with 91 theaters, it made $3.1 million on its opening weekend. Wow. And where, where, well, you probably don't know, but where were those theaters? Like, were they in metropolitan areas? I'm assuming. I don't know, but I do know that it ends up being in 757 theaters by the time its theatrical run is completed. That's how big this movie became. Well, and when you realize like you're making that kind of money from only a handful of theaters, you're going to release it. Which comes to a wider audience. Creating prints to release. That's also a a delay you have to factor in. So domestically, it made $80,931,801. Internationally, $104 million. Almost cresting at $105 million. That's a crazy amount of money when you factor a rated R movie in this very weird subgenre which confronts in some very yeah. That's yeah. what I was just going to yeah. confront some very questionable material. I mean think about it. Deliverance which involved a man getting plunged did not make that kind of money. Just saying opening weekend <laughs> 52579 no real competition. A couple weeks before you had Rocky 2 which is a pretty weak installment of that franchise in my humble opinion. A week after you had Phantasm, a couple weeks after that, Escape from Alcatraz and the Muppet movie. The week after that, Meatballs and Moonraker. Hmm. So the only sci-fi movie that you're really getting is either Phantasm or Moonraker. The only horror that I see in that entire list is Phantasm. So it hit at a really good time to be that style of film. Yes. Runtime, 117 minutes. The original runtime, three hours, no. 12 minutes. <laughs> no. No, no, no. Yeah. This is a problem of Ridley Scott in the 80s and I guess late 70s. I mean, if you look at Blade Runner, crazy. But unlike Blade Runner, where he says there is a definitive cut, it is my cut. Fuck everything else that you've heard. Fuck what the studio said. He actually said a theatrical cut is his favorite. In a later quote unquote director's cut, which they titled that, Mm -hmm. they put in a couple of scenes where he was like, I thought it was better without it. We'll get into that moving on. But let's talk about Redley Gerald Scott. What do you think his real middle name is? I don't know. I didn't look it up. Edgar? I have no idea. <laughs> so he actually described this film, and I think it's a very appropriate description. It is Texas Chainsaw Massacre of science fiction. Okay. That works. I like it a lot. That sense of unease, the tension. It, it's like out, I can't outlaw. even get through Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like that. Uh, maybe it's because I like science fiction. Yeah. That's the point. But yeah. When it's an this alien movie is- murdering people, it's just nicer <laughs> well right i can dissociate right but this movie is so much more gruesome it is perversely what? gruesome by comparison yeah but i don't think the characters are as depraved yeah yeah you have a murderous android with an oral fixation a face raping alien <laughs> i mean there's a lot again, of again human but non-human there's, yeah, there's like no again human emotion, right. right yeah, yeah. i but get what leatherface doesn't pierce someone through the back out the front with his bony member if you know what I'm saying <laughs> and also Leatherface doesn't have a dick for a head and another dick for a mouth inside of his dick head True, moving on maybe <laughs> so he wrote pages of backstory for every single character and gave it to them so they would have something to go off of which is pretty impressive because as we'll talk about later the dialogue in this movie is very minimal but you mm-hmm. know the way everybody interacts with one another very well throughout the whole movie yes you can see those interpersonal relationships and it's not just Ripley is perceived as a bitch to everyone. Right. There's a lot more complexity there, which I think is great. And he originally, the original ending for this movie, according to Scott, was that the alien would bite off Ripley's head and then the radio intercom would come in from Earth and the transmission would go and the alien would answer in Ripley's voice. 
and Ooh, like come off to take the world or whatever. But then they thought that the, the producer said, no, we should probably have it die. And so it died. <laughs> I don't mind if like she died, but I prefer the alien not speak. And it's don't saying speak. like they're going <laughs> no, just let it like they're coming to rescue her stranded ship or something. So, you know, the alien would like live on in the next ship or something. But yeah, I'll having it speak kind of takes it out. I think I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very human thing to do. And right. I. I like the almost telepathic elements that it has and the way they kind of explore that. That's one of the more redeeming elements of resurrection is how weird and like almost tantric. Yeah, you know what I mean? Mm. It's like, ooh, very <laughs> sensual, the kind of interpersonal play that we're dealing with, right? We're talking about a character with a dick for a head, <laughs> condoms for a face, and KY jelly for lubricant sweat. Really, you're going to have to come down and be on our level here, wife. You can't be in your ivory tower over there. Get your hands dirty. <laughs> Written by Dan O'Bannon and his homeboy. What's Shusett's first name? I've already forgotten it. Whatever. Shusett. I'm just going to say that. So Dan O'Bannon did Dark Star, Heavy Metal, Dead and Buried, Return of the Living Dead, Life Force, Total Recall. Total Recall was originally Shusett's idea. He wanted to do an adaptation of We Can Remember It for You Wholesale, which is a Philip K. Dick. So they worked on it together. That was the trade. This movie, you'd have one helping the other. And then, of course, you know, Total Recall doesn't come out until the 90s. So that yeah. shows how long they had worked on ad- ad- adapting. And Life Force is really weird, too. It's space vampires. Yeah. O'Bannon had written 29 pages of a script called Memory. There's a documentary about memory, the creations of Alien. But it shows like the original perceptions of the, the chestburster scene. Mm. It shows a sketch with the chestburster having eyes. And it's like squinty infant eyes because it's never used them before. And it looks... So stupid. <laughs> it looks so dumb. Like a Muppet. Yeah, yep. no, exactly. It looks like a, yeah. like a gross, slimy sock puppet. <laughs> <laughs> but the shoes, it was the one who said originally, because originally when O'Bannon's talking about it, he's talking about like space truckers. That's the way he's trying to sell it. Right. It's like, you really want to add a different element to this mm-hmm. and, and having like the ghost and the machine elements. That's one of my favorite parts of the whole movie is when you have the xenomorph on the Nostromo coming out of what you think is just a shelf. When Ripley is sitting there in the closet watching it just uncoil itself, that's some good shit. When you think all it's doing is stretching out its arms and little weggies. Right. Yep. Good stuff. So, you know how I said earlier that O'Bannon was like, hey, H.R. Geiger, you give me awkward boners with your art. <laughs> he said, quote, his paintings had a profound effect on me. I had never seen anything that was quite as horrible and at the same time as beautiful as his work. And so I ended up writing a script about a Geiger monster. He also masturbated vigorously. I, why? Okay. I was totally going to say that, but I was like, no, that's not appropriate. Necronomicon 4. If you're looking for some of the art that inspired the whole thing in the writing process, it's that. <laughs> you're going to be like, was the porno that was it? No, just kidding. I'm kidding. Continue. 20th Century Fox gets into some fucky territory so Alien Resurrection I keep coming to because that's a very definitive part like a a branching off in the series because they had a ton of scripts that were thrown at them as far as doing different things with the movies there I think were 12 different scripts for Alien 3 that I've seen circulated Alien 5 is still there are a bunch of them the duty to District 9 was originally going to try and get that made a Blum Camp again and again and again but when it specifically comes to that movie, they tried to take away the credit to H.R. Geiger and he sued them successfully because like you made an entire industry based on my artwork and I'm going to be credited wow. as such. Good. I think that's a yeah, very important thing, especially yeah. for artist rights. 
that's one of the things that people look at like in perpetuity. Like, you know, I was recently reading the Marvel book I've, I've talked to you about that you tried to tune me out, but I kept going and persisting because I, I am oppressed and I will not be oppressed. <laughs> As a middle class white male, I have yeah. every right to say what I want to say and be heard. But the idea that you would do work for hire and then just never have any kind of title or claim over it, it's pretty barbaric in our modern. Yeah, that's crazy. So he had Crohn's disease. Woohoo! Party time. Excellent. <laughs> And he went so butt fucking crazy on the set of this movie, he was removed from set. Oh. Schuster couldn't have given a fuck less because it was never his project to begin with. So he's like, You want to pay me how much? Deuces. But O'Bannon <laughs> was like, I have to make sure this movie's perfect. It has to look this. And they were like, Fuck off, dude. They literally removed him from the set. And then he admitted after seeing it that they did things for the better. But every little thing he had like a conniption fit about. And I think that inarguably, if you look at the production. Oh, no, that was his baby. It was, that was gestated in his tummy. Yeah. That was implanted by Schuster in his face. Ooh. Yeah. Schuster, not Schuster. Full circle. <laughs> and he's like, oh, Ronald Schuster. That's the he pitched the movie as Jaws in space. How simple what? is that? Yeah. Because this it's not his baby, so it's yeah. it, it gets as simple as that. That's what I mean. That's why he's able to go like it's an alien rapist who's also a shark in space. Yeah, I mean, if you dissect you didn't see it, Jaws it is... raping anyone though, I guess. Yeah, you didn't see it. Oh, sorry. Although well, he does well, eat that naked girl in the very beginning. He's and spinning she's her like, oh! <laughs> and she's screaming. It she, could be pleasure screams or... Meg Ryan <laughs> in When Harry Met Sally. I'll have what she's having. <laughs> oh my goodness. He, she was eaten out. <laughs> sorry, I had to do it. We'll, yeah, we'll find any movie and we'll be able to do this. So Okay. <laughs> Music by Jerry Goldsmith. This is the dude who did Star Trek, the motion picture, the Omen, Chinatown, a very prolific musical artiste. Takes his first draft to Ridley Scott, who's like, kindly fuck off. <laughs> and Goldsmith's like, I'm sorry, say that to my face. And Ridley Scott's like, this is boring and I've heard it before. So this dude <laughs> literally goes to his studio and is like, I'm going to fuck this guy's life up. I'm going to get weird. And you know, I'm busting out a theremin and all this shit. And sure enough, when he comes back, Ridley Scott's like, good. But the guy like had an identity <laughs> crisis because basically he's like, you're not good enough. And he's like, I've always been good enough. I must be good enough because I am. And ends up creating something truly pretty profound. Crazy, right? I feel like you just explained yourself. I was... <laughs> I was I was trying to think of how I could say that without. I was like, if we tell you, like, you know, this one sucked, you're gonna just like flip out, and be like, we'll do it better. I'll re-record this episode by myself, <laughs> and I'll pretend to be both of you. I'm really good at voices. <laughs> oh, That's a very eloquent point that you made. You're so handsome. <laughs> That's actually my Chad voice. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Sit on my face, Jake. <laughs> Shall we get into nicknames? <laughs> nicknames. Let's do it. Nicknames. <laughs> so as we discussed, all of the names were changed by Walter Hill, who oh, did I mention earlier that he directed an episode of Tales from the Crypt, which we just did an episode on? Mm, I don't think you did. Oh, yeah. Did also, you? it's for our Patreon bonus. So sorry. Maybe you should invest. Just saying. <laughs> Tom Skerritt was Dallas, the captain of the Nostromo. I wanted to call him Bee Gees because he looks like Barry Gibb from the Bee Gees. <laughs> Okay. I have no idea who that is. So. I don't either. But hey. Ha, ha, ha. No, I know. No, no, no. I actually know that, but I don't know what he looks like at all. He looks like that Tom Scarrett. All right. <laughs> there you go. He originally declined the film 
And then once Ridley Scott was attached and the budget doubled, he was like, oh, okay, I'll do it now. <laughs> oh, you mean I'm going to get paid more? Sure, uh, I guess. But this guy's a weird conundrum too because he's like, he presents himself as like a pure artist, but at the same point, he's pretty materialistic because like you have that like monetary element, but then also he's like a craftsman. He's like, you know, he res- openly resented and condescended Ridley Scott on the set because he's like, you're taking too long to do these shots. And Ridley Scott's like, I want everything perfect. Very hands-on director. And Scarrett resented the fact that he would, he's like, he was a very cerebral guy. He said that he would get out of character. It would take so long. But at the same point, he's like, how much are you going to pay me, dog? <laughs> you can't have it both ways, Scarrett. Glad you die. In the script, gets, he gets his dick wet with Ripley. Oh. Yeah. It's not, I'm glad that that's not in there. Yeah. It's not good. No. Only person I want seeing penetrated is John Hurt. <laughs> Maybe that chick who gets the tail. Sigourney <laughs> Weaver as Ripley, the warrant officer aboard the Nostromo. If we call her anything but Ripley, I wanted to call her Zool. Yeah, okay. Ooh, which is Ghostbusters. Okay. There is no Dana, only Zool. Looks like you have some you homework to do, Bay. Just hurt my heart. I have seen <laughs> that. I just don't remember every yeah, single thing. The fact thing that you from... haven't committed it to memory kind of hurts our feelings. <laughs> yeah. Like this shows Sorry. that like, you know, we could do this podcast with just two of us. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually I way more like, polite. Fine. I feel just like kidding. you guys would have enjoyed yourselves. I was actually going to say like, you know, we're soulmates, but not the entire soul because Chad has that portion of it. But she'd only had Broadway experience before doing this film. And then she impressed everybody with her audition and got it. Here's a fun fact. She made for aliens $11 million. For frame of reference, that's how much this entire movie costs to make. <laughs> oh. So that's how much, like, the balls in her court, which she get, she made $35,000 to do this. Okay, but when you see the profits of this movie, you're like, yeah, no, that's how much you're paying me for sure. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It takes, it takes <laughs> like, serious balls. And also, she's very, very anti-gun. Well, could you imagine? Oh, sorry. Why Continue. Does that balls? Continue. Serious breasts or vagina. Ovaries. There Ovaries in the shape of balls. <laughs> Don't fuck with me. I didn't say testes, you sexist prick. <laughs> I hope you get face hugged. But she's very anti-gun. And so that's one of the things that she held out on. And then if you notice, in Alien 3, she doesn't use a gun. In Alien Resurrection, she doesn't use... Well, I think she does a couple times. But the point mm-hmm. is, is that her loathing of firearms shaped the third installment of this franchise. Because she had that much power because she's such a beloved female icon. Like, I think that she well, is truly the, a great character. I don't character. think that this would have been, like, there would not have been sequels with another actress. Yeah, 100%. Like, yeah. if they had to replace her, no. Like, this, mm-hmm. I don't think that it would be what it is today. I don't think that it would have even continued. I yeah. wholeheartedly agree. I mean, and I think she's a babe, even though people pointed out very awkwardly that she kind of looks like Glenn Danzig in her later years. <laughs> okay. But three, the worst one? No, I don't mind it. Really? Yeah. I think the AVP movies are terrible. I actually, well, there no, are I'm parts of three that are just the alien movies, not mixing oh, of the it. trilogy, yeah. yeah. But I think it's also the last officially licensed Nintendo game was mm. Alien 3. But I like yeah. elements of it a lot. But they needed her so much that even like the killer in Aliens 3, yet she is a clone in Resurrection. Exactly. So yeah, they're like, she makes that basketball shot. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? Yeah. 200 takes, but she makes the basketball shot. Just like Michael Scott. <laughs> uh, <dang. laughs> so you can say the, f- you were, sh- <laughs> so you want to flip it flip. say that so you said it faster. <laughs> yeah. Don't challenge me in terms of speed talking. I might've taken two flights today and on presentations and put my life in mortal peril, but I can still titillating tongue twister myself to tip top. <laughs> Tootie poots. <laughs> Moving on. Ta-ta-ta-ta-ta. 
<laughs> Fox Studio Alan Ladd came up with the idea of making her a female, so that we have to give some credit to Alan Land. And we move on. Are you guys cool, Zool? Yeah. Veronica Cartwright. She was Lambert, the Nostromo's navigator. I I wanted to call her Mama Bear because she's eerily reminiscent of the gal who they refer to as Mama Bear in Event Horizon, which. Fun trivia about Slasher's podcast. It's our pilot episode that not a lot of people have listened to, and for good reason. <laughs> Sorry. Lisa she, actually, she won a Saturn Award for her performance. I think it's pretty impressive. She does a really good job of being unnerved. Like she does it without being like flapping arms, weeping person. Yes. I think she has a really relatable job. Yes. She looks terrified. <laughs> Harry Dean Stanton <clears throat> was Brett, the engineer. Mr. Fix-It. Mm-hmm. Are we good with that? Yeah. Stanton's first words to Scott during his audition were, I don't like sci-fi or monster movies. <laughs> Straight like, up. you're perfect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I can't you have a- you. I must have you. <laughs> you'd be scared as shit when I started this. <laughs> it's like, Alien. Well, that's, that's how penis it, creature. When Sigourney Weaver was negotiating, she's like, I won't do this movie. Like, you must do this movie. Basically, it's kind of the same negotiating tactic. Like, oh, you, you don't like guns and aliens? Well, here, let's make you have do this movie with guns and aliens. <laughs> How, much How much money do you want? <laughs> it's like a weird power play. Like, yeah, what, what do you do for sweet, succulent cash? <laughs> John Hurt was Kane, the executive officer who becomes the host for the alien. Mm-hmm. Here's a fun thing. Hurt. What? Locker. That's, that, that's pretty cute. <laughs> because in the hurt locker is their love fetus from when he was impregnated, right? That's what you meant? No. Okay. Originally, he wasn't in the movie. There was some scheduling stuff, but oh, he got it. And then he won a BAFTA award for best actor in a supporting role. So a lot of people, you'll see like top 10 lists was like, oh, top 10 shit. You didn't know about Alien. It's like I've, all of these are the same. <laughs> Yeah. It might as well be top 10 shit you saw in the last five articles that we used for clickbait. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Jesus. Ian Holm as Ash, the ship's science officer who is revealed to be an android. I want to call him Kung Fu, do what you do to me. Teenage, the bottom of me. You guys don't know me. Rumble in the Bronx. Remember in the credits, Chad, you know, need to know this. We've talked about this before. I love Rumble in the Bronx. What that, about the it? band is called Ash. Oh, yeah. But as soon as music plays, I don't pay attention to it whatever like, what? how many times we got to talk about this <laughs> O'Bannon thought that the fact that he was revealed to be an, or an android was a completely unnecessary subplot it wasn't in his stuff at all uh said said that it was actually one of the best things in the movie and the whole idea was not there so he again this is a guy who's like i don't give a fuck this was a lot of fun i made some good money peace <laughs> out no it definitely adds a lot i feel if he wasn't an android i don't Really? I mean, you could have made him like aliens where he's just this sleazy ass salesman kind of trying to get her to go back on the ship. But played by who? Who's that guy? The mad about you guy? Paul Reiser. Yeah. Paul Reiser will always be for me. Axel Foley's assistant from Beverly Hills Cop franchise. Right. We'll move on. Yafet Koto was Parker, the chief engineer. Legend has it that Ridley Scott told him to annoy Sigourney Weaver to add tension to their relationship. <laughs> which you could tell. Because there are a couple of times where they're talking over each other, which is like, that doesn't seem scripted. That's like a little too severe. But then there's also points where people say that they had issues between Scott and Kodo because Kodo is like, oh, you want me to improvise? I'm going to improvise. You should let me improvise. And really, Scott's like, no, I have a perfect vision. Don't fuck it up. Parker! <laughs> That's the way she says it. So what would you like to call him? Hmm. I don't know. We haven't come up with nicknames for the other ones that we just did. Uh, literally, there was Kung Fu. What about oh, yeah. for... Hurt Locker, Mr. What... Fix-It, Mama Bear, Zool, and Bee Gees. What about Ash? What did you say Kung for Fu. him? Kung Fu. 
Oh, I sang the song. Oh, Chad didn't know what I was Lord. talking about. You looked at me well, like you I was like an idiot. Went on with I just didn't so, know. Who are we on now, Parker? Yeah, blue collar. There you go. You might be a redneck. <laughs> well, he's like the one that always complains about his pay, right? Yeah, yeah. And he's like the one of the harder working guys. He is. BG's doesn't do shit. And then we go to Bolaji Badijo. Badijo, a 26 year old design student who played the Xenomorph himself. He's six foot ten. Whoa. Yep. A pretty interesting fella. He was doing a bunch of really cool artwork. He does a very interesting self-portrait that compares mm-hmm. his other work. He doesn't need a name, but I just wanted to give credit to him and put one other bit of trivia. The original costume was translucent. The idea being that you could see the skeletal workings underneath, but it was Scott didn't like the way it was achieved. So it could have been cool, but it would definitely have been weird. And I feel like the lighting like really would have had to... That's the guy. Yeah, the lighting is the best part of it because they did screen tests and you can see through it. And it's pretty cool. But it also the idea of it blending into the shadows was big. And like I said, my favorite visual of it is when it's coming out of the shadows. Yeah. So you can't really do that. But if you watch Alien Resurrection again, I'm going to keep going back to that because that's where the whole franchise goes off the fucking rails. <laughs> when it's the weird baby version with yeah. the skull, it's translucent. Well, yeah. so maybe that's just like a homage. And Helen Horton was the voice of Mother the Computer. Who's doing the recapitation? Oh, I thought you were going to be like, so who's singing Mother? And I was about to be like, Mother. <laughs> Mother. Do you know that song, Chad? Nope. Did you ever play Grand Theft Auto you San Andreas? You have to show me up. No. I, like, I was <laughs> queuing it into. Right? I was queuing it into a discussion with Chad because Chad doesn't music, but he did play Grand Theft Auto. So in that game, the best thing you can do in Grand Theft Auto San Andreas is get on a dirt bike, ride off of a fucking cliff while Mother's playing, or hold the line. Toto? No. What? Gonna take a lot. To- That's not hold the line. God damn it, Chad. Let's move on. <laughs> Who's doing the recapitation? Sierra, take it well, away. My recapitation is not going to have anything to do with rape, so I don't know <laughs> if you guys really want me to do this. <laughs> So you're saying a man goes to a space place and has a consensual love affair with a face-hugging alien. <laughs> its love child is then birthed and has its first meal. There you go. That works. You That's just did it. Eerily like the plot of Baby's Day Out. <laughs> <laughs> a crew goes on a discovery mission. A little jaunt. <laughs> and bring back a... Present. Stowaway. Yeah. Stowaway is a very polite way of putting it. Illegitimate uh, love child, stowaway, same thing. An illegal alien. That then slowly kills the crew one by one. Yeah. Until it is killed. Um, Spoiler. Ooh, sorry. No, it's a good thing. Um, The movie came out 40 years ago. You're fine. Oh, also, we're film. We're recording this episode on the day that everybody was supposed to raid Area Fifty One. So I've been listening <gasps> to the news about it. I hope you all enjoy listening to this in prison, <laughs> dumbass. No, they said okay. there's like five thousand people there just staring and standing there, and I'm like, all, come on, just waiting. Get Cowardly. the one like schizo that's gonna hop over the fence. Do it. <laughs> oh, that makes more sense. One of my friends works at a middle school, and I saw that he had a Area Fifty One dance recently. <laughs> so that totally makes more sense. I thought it was like, oh, that's just a cool idea. But now if it's like related, then those kids are pretty smart. (laughs) Right on. I can dig that. Let's get weird, chilling. (laughs) Chad, are you doing the slave by play? Slave by play? Sure. We start out on the spaceship. The Nostromo. I actually really enjoy the opening. 
there's like no talking for six minutes and like 42 seconds. Which as the dad of two girls under five, I think that definitely says a lot about where you're at in your life. Yes. <laughs> I feel like impatient 20-somethings are like, get to the point. But us parents are like, that was five so more seconds of silence, please. Peaceful. Oh my God. <laughs> It's very serene too. I was telling Steer, I love the title of this. Like the credits, the way it like does the shapes to make oh, the yeah. Yeah, Oh, yeah. That my was amazing. God. And that pulse. Yep. It's so classy. All the creative lighting and stuff, which is also pretty interesting. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Cinematography is great. And you have areas of the ship that are totally pristine, like the pods, but they're right. dirty in other parts. Mm. You get, like, it's so interesting. And yeah. Like I the love communal it. area, super clean, all white. Like you think of futuristic, but then like the actual get to work areas, you're like, no, they're like grimy and stuff. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. And there's, I think if you want to get like hyper weird, you can get it. You can get in like class systems because the. Oh, well, the. the All right, gentlemen. (laughs) How come you did not prepare me for this kind of conversations? We're talking about class systems and rape and. (laughs) Think about the you room. watch the same movie uh, we well, do. Yeah. That's true. You should just liberate your mind. You're living under the man's <laughs> oppression. These are the. This is why you need to follow Bernie Sanders on Twitter. <laughs> Take some DMT, whatever. But the point is, like, if you go to the the room where Mother is, the yes. computer room, it's all pristine and clean. Only right. one per the tip top person's allowed right. to be there. Then you get to the annals of the ship, where it's just like shit and grime and fucking aliens everywhere. Goop and exactly poop, poop and poop. <laughs> Uh, sorry so as we're in the ship in the very opening scene the ship basically is just starts waking up uh all the systems are kind of clicking on flashing lights everywhere before you go go. yeah i know that one (laughs) (laughs) and so after that we then get to the hypersleep chambers wakey pods pods. and i guess it'd be the opposite of a wakey pod it's a nappy nap pod until it becomes a wakey pod (laughs) yeah and it was kind of interesting how they did this too so all of them start waking up. You kind of only see the captain or whatever you want to call him wake up and he's super tired, walks away, but still no talking until you kind of get to the mess hall. Well, say about you in the morning. I mean, do you wake up? I know usually I do not wake up and be like, good morning, Jake. Yeah, that right, definitely doesn't happen. This I'm broad's like, like, get mm. the fuck away from me. It's too hot and your breath smells too bad. That's pretty <laughs> much the wake up I have become accustomed to. <laughs> your guys' kid is not... The same age as my kids. Oh, that's true. So oh. I do have to play that fake ass role and be like, oh, good morning, children. I love you. I love you so, <laughs> so much <laughs> at five in the morning. That's why you're alive right Thank now. Thank you for waking me up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Did you catch that the robot is mother in this, but in Resurrection, it's father? And then in Alien versus Predator, it's second cousin? Waka waka. Sierra like looked at me like, wait a second. Like, really? Like, that seems wrong. <laughs> that sounds stupid. Oh, wait. It's my husband who's stupid. <laughs> so the first time we kind of meet the whole crew is there in the mess hall. Uh, and this is where you start to get the initial like, they don't use a ton of words, but you start getting the characteristics of each person. And there's a lot of cacophony. People talking over each other. Yeah, I right. think that's great. It's great. Because it's not split up as like oh you say this and then I'll wait and then I'll respond yeah because that's not like how real like group conversations go exactly normally well and that's one of the things that leads into aliens when it comes to the colonial marines and the way they're talking there's a lot of improv in that and it's the way that people actually were reacting I think it's a very 
earnest and real thing. It's a very humanizing factor. Like I, and that's one of the things you you don't have to know what they're saying, but you know how they're saying it, to whom they're saying it. So you have the relationships and their dispositions in a very quick manner, which I'm really grateful for this runtime. This runtime is good. It, it goes above our 90 minute gold spot by quite a bit, but I really like the runtime of this movie. And I think that you don't have to belabor it by going, oh, hello, Parker. I don't like you because reasons. Right. And then insert joke because, yeah. Waka waka. <laughs> the captain then gets up and goes to the mother room, types in questions. I forget what they were, but, you know, basically, where the hell are we? I love this scene compared to, and, and we all know Jake's love of the thing is pretty deep and virulent. Right. But I love this computer scene so much more than Wilford Brimley being like, how long until the world ends? Ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> you know, yeah. That's not the way computer simulations work. Right. And then the rest of the crew starts getting ready and just going to their jobs. And that's when they notice like the star system is not where they're at. They don't know where they are. Mm-hmm. They're way far away from Earth, which they were heading to Earth. Yeah. They're like, this isn't the Milky Way. Right. This is the Mars bars. <laughs> this is a hundred grand. <laughs> you married that. I know. <laughs> I'm an abomination. <laughs> My parents tell me I was a mistake. (laughs) So then the captain kind of enters and he's like, hey, everyone, mother basically sent us somewhere else because there was a transmission that we didn't identify. They couldn't identify what it was. But they could tell that it was a sentient life of some kind because it came out at a very consistent rhythm. Right. Yeah. Every 20 minutes or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so everyone's kind of like upset because they were on their way to Earth. And yeah. So then they're forced to go investigate this new signal. I actually really like the way that this scene plays out because you have Parker who's being very materialistic, but reasonably materialistic. He's like, I was supposed to go home. Right. And I don't think that the one thing I won't give him credit for is I think they should have done a better job of explaining the length of time of space travel because in Aliens, Ellen Ripley has to confront the fact that her daughter predeceased her as an old woman because she's been out in space so long. That's one of the considerations you have when you're traveling in space in the hyperspace or hypersleep as it is. Do we know how long it took to yes. for them to get back to Earth? Yes. Like at- when they actually fix their ship and get back, jumping ahead, obviously, they say like how far until we get back to Earth and he's like 11 months. So Okay. All right. The whole Alien series takes place over a span of 257 years. That's because you're factoring hypersleep. Mm. And that's one of the reasons that Prometheus can happen before right. this because it's all space travel and how long they spent in transit. Yeah, right. and they were supposed to go back into hypersleep for that 11-month trip. Whenever you see hypersleep, do you ever think of uh, Rocket Man with Harlan Wayne? Oh, my God. I love that movie. With the fucking chimp? Yeah. That's so good. And the mural that he paints while they're all sleeping oh, with I the food? Did. I have seen it that. It wasn't me. Yeah, you've watched it with me twice. <laughs> <laughs> Literally one of my favorite things in the world. <laughs> So the whole crew then gets on the single ship, which was interesting to me. Like the whole crew leaves their giant ship in space. And I'm like, if something goes wrong, you guys are all stuck. It's just hanging out there by itself. Yeah. Maybe mother's controlling it. Yeah. But then, you know, you've seen how many movies the communication system goes out. They're all stuck on that planet. Uh, That's true. It was very strange that I was like, oh, okay. They're pretty confident in their one ship. And then when they land it, it breaks. <laughs> One of the cutest things, though, is if you notice, they're, the Nostromo is this little tiny baby ship, and all the stuff they're towing is the big important thing. Right. You have to kind of look into it, but they're talking about the hull, the cargo. They're talking about very technical terms. It reminds me of the movie Virus, but it's actually good, mm-hmm. right. because Virus is not. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> so they uh, land on the planet, and it's a rough landing. bunch of stuff breaks. They're going in raw. Yep. They're stuck on the planet for, they said repairs are going to take 
17 hours. The crewmen obviously lie and they're like 25 hours. And Sierra was like, those Christmas lights look terrible. <laughs> and then it's almost to spite her that BG's later on is like, oh, turn those lights on again. Yeah. It's like so bad. You have this great like miniature, but then these janky, like crooked ass lines. So weird. It was so bizarre. And they're not even like big spotlights. They're just like little teeny lights that just go down the bottom. It's yeah, dumb. no, they remind me of like the lights that you see strung in backyards. Right. Come on. <laughs> so as uh, they're whatever. broken down, they decide to send out a party to go investigate the signal. Mm-hmm. They go and they find out it's a ship. While entering the ship, it's this is like one of the coolest parts for me. Oh, yeah. Well, and also the whole ship was very incidental. Like the, they had done a bunch of different designs. Geiger ends up doing this like circular design and they're like, ah, just add a little bit. So he kind of basically adds a hook. But it's very surreal. And then you get inside of it and it's just so different than anything I'd ever seen. Yeah. And that's one of the things as a kid, I didn't even realize that the space jockey was a thing. Right. I thought it was a fixture. I thought they were concerned about the entire thing. And like, oh, no, this is a person, which Prometheus, I'm not going to say ruins, but it's just not as good as it could have been, I guess, in that capacity. Like, but that is super cool set piece. Yeah. It's a 26 foot tall statue that they made to be this thing that they never explain. They never give it a backstory. It's just to make you uncomfortable, just like in Space Vampires. And 20th Century Fox like, you don't need it. And they're like, no, 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 no. We need this. And so they basically create this piece just for that one image and then never touch on it again to create this sense of mystery. But it's nice because it does show it's not the alien's ship. Yes. So I think they needed it for that. Because then you're thinking, oh, this thing is super intelligent and it has more technology than we do. You know how it died? Got set on fire by a cigarette butt and burned to death. The prop, not the character. Oh, I was like, what? <laughs> that was a joke because you were supposed to be like, oh, what? how did it die? I assume it has something to do with a xenomorph. <laughs> the blue lasers that they use over the eggs. Did you know whose those were? Whose those? Who are you? The band The Who was actually recording using those lasers next door and they're like hey can we borrow those for a minute and that's how you have one of the coolest effects in this movie that is such a trippy dippy super fun image yeah that's really weird while they're on the ship they come across the space jockey there's a big acid hole in the ground which also kind of helps you like see into the future something's Mm -hmm. weird that does that Mm -hmm. which then leads them to like the eggs and the eggs were very interesting because it had like the own, their own like atmosphere covering it with like the mist. I was like, that is awesome. It's very cool, kind of original. And I was like, oh, that's very interesting. They investigate the eggs. And one of the coolest parts was when he puts a like flashlight under, yes. up to it and then you could see it moving underneath. Yes, I love oh, that. I was like, that is disgusting and awesome. Well, and that's, and that's like Ridley really Scott's your... hands. What? It's Ridley Scott's hands that make the writhing and wriggling. Oh. Actually, when you're looking into the top of the thing, it's actually anatomical parts. It's, I think, chicken liver and beef heart. And yeah, a lot of the torsion that you see in there is actually puppet hands. And if you notice <sighs> on the egg sack, if you look at the drips, the drips go up. They filmed it upside down. Yeah, no, down. I did. So weird. I didn't notice that. I would not have guessed that it was hands. I thought it was just like a smaller version of the space hugger. Right, yeah. Like they made... I don't know, a model or something. Yeah. I. But that image was. Want one of those eggs for like when my kids are in high school (laughs) and they do something so dumb or wrong and I want to punish them. I'm just going to like put it in their room and light it all creepy and have it like open up. And yeah, that's my plan. They may be traumatized, but I think it'll be worth it. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, I remember playing hide and seek with my dad. Speaking of traumatizing moments <laughs> with my parents, and he hid in my closet as a young child, <laughs> and like we gave up. Like my dad is not one. To, like he is determined to win, right? So we're just like, all right, well, we're just giving up. We can't find him, and we're like, he'll come out eventually. So we're you know like playing in my room or. I don't know. I think I was laying down and he jumps out of my closet. Okay. And for, for, I mean, even now I still don't like sleeping with my closet doors open. Like I know that there's nothing in there, but it just makes me uncomfortable. Oh yeah. So, I mean, just, just just think about the repercussions of, you know, having this weird egg in your kids. I'm fine with it. (laughs) Okay. So when they come to me and are like, why did he do this? I'll be like, sorry, guys, I tried to convince him. But then Chad's also going to use that for the birds and the bees talk. And he's like, that's where babies come from. Yep. You don't want <laughs> anything to do with boys. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the egg opens. And of course, Kane looks up and into it, which I would have been yeah, like, like, yeah, no. I'm backing up. Because it doesn't look, it looks very sinister. Yes. The thing that did bother me, though. Their helmets are all like fogged up. I'm like, come on, it's space, man. Like the helmet shouldn't be all fogged up. It should be nice and clean mm-hmm. inside. I like that it's dirty. That's so weird. That's actually something I actually very much like is how gritty and feeling unprepared and uneasy it is. Like they're not in the most pristine scenario. Prometheus, they are in the pristine scenario and they still fuck it up. Whereas these guys, they almost have a pass because like, well, you didn't know what you were getting into. But you're like in space now and you feel like even now they could ventilate a helmet and not have all the like fog in there from them breathing. But they're not space breathing now. Still, it's ventilated through a system. Yeah, but you know, you like if you're snowboarding and your glasses fog up, it doesn't matter. But you're not having a full airlock system <laughs> that has ventilation. You're you're the tiebreaker. I what know. Do you feel about I know I'm helmet? trying to decide whether I would have assumed that it was dirty on like the outside because they went through all of that sandstorm and so I just am not I don't know if I'm not remembering it correctly. Like, were they trying to like, did they try and wipe it off? Right. No. No. Okay. So I was just definitely on the inside of the home. But yeah, well, it's basically them breathing hot air on a, with it. Oh, you can see like their breath. Well, no, it's just like the condensation building inside because it's hot. And yeah, it was just Uh, weird. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. (laughs) So the face hugger then pops out and attaches itself to the mask. And then you instantly get. Smoking. From there, I think it's a very good choice to cut to the vast, like, wide shot emptiness. Because they're like, dude, now they're in an emergency. There's nothing Nothing. around. Right. Right. And they're just, like, zooming back out, showing, like, the distance that they're going to have to carry this fool back to the ship. Yeah. And it's two kilometers of a walk back with somebody who's completely In a storm. Yeah. In an an uncomfortable suit with extra heavy equipment on. Yes. (laughs) I would have been like. Sorry. <laughs> we'll come back with a cart. Yeah. <laughs> Wheelbarrows. <laughs> One of the things I think makes this and like uh, dead space so effective is people who are ill-equipped for the situation. They don't have all the answers. It shows, you know, what's going on. Like these people are not your colonial Marines. These are not adventurers. These are long haul drivers. So they didn't do the right things. And it's just compounding. You know, this gets worse and worse and worse to the point where you get to a very reasonable situation where Ripley is like, quarantine protocol yes. says, I'm not bringing an alien on this ship. And everybody's just like, now nah, we are. Right. All of them I felt died. that was, she was justified. Like, I would have done the same thing. You're such she's, a rule follower. Yeah, she's justified, but they still paint her as being kind of like a 
shrew about yeah. it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I got that. But I was just like, nope. Sorry. But at the same time, yeah. I would have been the same like, way. I'd be no, like, nope. Fuck that. Yeah. Especially Parker. I'd be like, you're not paying me enough for that shit. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what happens. Basically, they drag him all the way back to the ship. She refuses to let him in. And Ash being the robotic, you know, twat just lets him in. Kung Fu do it. Because he has an alternative mode or ulterior yeah. ulterior motive. <laughs> alternative motive. Alternative. 98.7. <laughs> all alternative motives all the time. One of the things I actually really like about this movie is how you have the small threat that becomes the big threat. It's almost excusable. People aren't taking it seriously. Oh, it's just a little bug on his face. Yeah. But then it's, oh, it's just this little tentacle monster. Oh, it's huge. Right. I really like it. It reminds me of the midget cricket from Men in Black. It's this tiny little thing <laughs> with a big, big wallop. Yeah. So they bring him to like the sick bay, whatever. And that's where they start trying to remove it just by pulling it off. Tightens around his neck. Then they try to cut it, find out that it has acid. They worried about it breaching all the way through the hall. And so they're like, crap, we can't do anything. Do you know why he has acid blood? Very simple fact. Why wouldn't you shoot it? Now you have a reason why you can't shoot it. Right. And they said that too. Like that's a very good defense mechanism. Yeah. yeah. Like one of the things that I always didn't like about Starship Troopers, for instance, is you're using bullets in the future. Like it always seems like you should have, you should have lasers by now and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. So the idea of projectile warfare doesn't really work in this scenario. It does with the flamethrower because you're not actually creating yeah, that ballistic impact. Even the bugs have lasers. They shoot like that big Out plasma their butthole. Yeah. yeah. We're doing Starship <laughs> Troopers. Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> Oh, so uh, they kind Casper of Casper Van Dien. I sorry, I just had to cut off chat again. <laughs> so they kind of just let <laughs> <laughs> Jake Busey, Neil Patrick Harris, oh. Michael Ironside. I think that's all the actors I know from that movie. So you're safe now. Yeah, the Busey Don't son. Trust him. <laughs> Never trust his me. face. Just bothers me. I love it, but he always plays like the same kind of like dickhead. Remember in in Tomcats where he gets his nut cut off? That was sad. Yeah, he basically has like a I'm a dick face guy. A dick face. Yeah. Almost, if you will. <laughs> what would you call that? And I'm a dick face. So they're working on the repairs. This is where we talked about it before, where they said, yeah, it's still 10 months before we go back. Uh, they decide to <clears throat> just put him in like the stasis pod or whatever you want to call it. And they said they're going to have... Wait. Yes. No. They're going to put him in the stasis pod with it on. Correct. But they find it off of his face. And there's that whole scene where they're just trying to find it because they think it's still alive. The husk falls right. and they start doing their investigation. Then to celebrate before going back to sleep, right. they have one last meal. Right. The only thing we missed was Ripley confronting Ash, saying like, you let him in when I was in charge because if he's off the ship, I'm the second in command. And this is when he was also doing like research about the facehugger. So it's like the first time you start feeling like there's something else happening. Mm. Yeah. And I love that he's not presented like Mr. Spock, for example. Like he has a very specific emotions. He does things. There's a couple like weird hints, like when he moves in hyperspeed and when he does like the jogging in place and stuff. So you know there's something off about the guy, but you don't know that he's necessarily an android. But even after he does like that quick run, he like then's like blowing to warm up his hands. So you're like, is that just a program that he's still trying to resemble being human? Yeah. Yeah. It shows that this isn't like your prime directive where it's like, number one, do not hurt human. Number two, this is... I have one opportunity. It is this, and you be damned. Yes, because he even lies to her to create an excuse for it. So I like yes. it a lot. Yeah, no, it's interesting. So yeah, they basically get to the last supper. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone's kind of just talking with Kane, and Kane's just chowing down, and then this is where 
the chest burster comes out and it's great. And so there's all sorts of lore in movie magic history where people are like, oh, well, you know, Ridley Scott lied to them all. And there's this, that, and the other thing. And Lambert wasn't eating meat at the time. There's sheep and cow entrails. It seems to be the general consensus is this. They knew something was going to happen, right? When it comes to the laying down, because it's, it's very clear when it comes to him standing versus him laying, it's clearly his head through in a, in a prosthetic torso, right? So it seems to stand that they knew that something was going to happen, but it was presented almost as, as a gnawing climbing out of, because actually, if you look back, I believe it's Roger Dickens, he said that he thought it would be much more horrifying if the creature crawled out of it, and he still stands by that would be more impactful than the splattering. He actually doesn't like the high velocity, but it gets a very earnest reaction from the, the cast and crew. That's true. Because they're expecting this slow ripping and they get popping and blood splattering and some of it's real blood. Right. No. And that's what I read was that he put like real blood and even organs in it to make it shocking for the crew. Yeah. And it was only one take with like four cameras on it. And when Lambert gets blood on her face, she, when she's trembling, she's about to touch her face. It's real blood. Yeah. That's crazy. That's fucked up, dog. Blood and sanitary. Seriously. Like animal blood. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, hobo. Because uh, <laughs> homeless people are animals, Chad? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I'm assuming that that smell probably wouldn't be that great either. <laughs> I would probably boof. be like, what is that? Yes. Anyway. Is it my husband's morning breath? Ew. <laughs> so, so they get weapons, the cattle prod. Oh, the most important part, no eyes goes around, scampers off, and they don't know what to do with it. Yes. So they get a cattle prod so they can incapacitate it, not kill it, and they can corral it. Right. At this point, they still feel like they're in control. Yes. Things do not maintain. Correct. So then they break up into teams of three. So Ridley goes with Parker and Brett. They are searching the ship. They run into the cat. The cat, like, runs away. And Brett's, and they, like, kind of yell at Brett, like, you know, you let the cat get by. And now we're going to have to find that again. Right. Because, because they're they using like a it. meter to fit, exactly. like to, you know, sense the alien, you yes. know, like so that they can find it. The excuse being atmospheric changes. So I'm like, your breath like would have minute, much. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> and so Brett goes off to find the cat by himself and of course runs <sighs> into. Know. Well, first he finds like the shedded skin, which I don't think any of the other movies have ever portrayed that. Like the shedding of the skin. From Shredded her. condoms. Yeah. Oh, really? Yep. And oh. there's also condoms in its face. The latex. Oh, hmm. okay. Yeah. And it's covered in KY. Oh, but I did like that. Like, because it's shedding, it's like it's growing. Right. And that's showing that it's it's not this small thing that just popped out exactly. of it anymore. Like rapid growth. Right. I also love that it doesn't take 20 minutes for the payoff. Because you imagine, like, oh, well, I guess now I have to look for a big thing. It's like, oh, no, it's right behind me, isn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is also interesting because, like, the weapons, then they're like, oh, crap, we got to upgrade the weapons because this thing's much bigger than we thought. Right. Flamethrower. Well, and their weapons now, it's not just something to, like, incapacitate. Exactly, like, they can't, yeah, yeah. you know, just take it back to the lab anymore. Very true. So Bee Gees goes with Zool, and he's trying to find it with the flamethrower. And he just disappears. There is a deleted scene where she ends up finding him in like a cocoon or whatever, which plays into aliens. Hmm. I agree with Ridley Scott. It's not needed. I like the vagueness of it. Right. Because at that point, if you didn't know any better, you would think he's going to be the star of the movie. He's the captain. He's the yes. brave guy. He's relatively handsome, whatever. And then, you know, Ripley, the one who's perceived as kind of a shrew, is the one who's in. She takes charge. 
almost defiantly so because she's yeah. reminding people, remember, I'm in charge. She's like Dwight Schrute. Remember, I'm the one in charge, but she actually <laughs> is the to the assistant. <laughs> yeah, because he disappears, though, after a clear like jump scare of the xenomorph like reaching for him. It's kind of like the first time you see like the hands up close and flat. I yeah. think that's the first time like I, I jump. I jump at that every time. Right. That's the one that he's in the tunnel. Yeah, the yeah. air. Oh, yeah. The air block, whatever. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Tunnel. Like works the ventilation too. system. <laughs> whatever. The air, air yeah. cave. And I love, I think all the other t- like instances of us seeing the alien, other than the popping out of, you know, the stomach, there's a like the tail or something like comes down to indicate that it's going to be coming. Right. Other than this. Yes. Scene where it was just, I mean, you could kind of sense that it probably was going to be there, but still seeing it was, I jump every time. Well, the two obvious kills with Greg and Brett Mm -hmm. are, am I mixing up their names? Whatever. Anyway, the two guys, it's a very close shot of the alien's face with like the, the penis tongue basically punching into someone's head. Right. Which again is very phallic. Yeah. Hence penis. Tongue. Well, I, I'm not. I'm not only talking <laughs> about the shape of it. I'm talking about the thrusting. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. If you don't mind. <laughs> so then it cuts. They're circling the wagons and trying to figure out what the hell's going on. This is where Ash tries to, or Kung Fu rather, tries to suffocate Zul with a rolled up newspaper <laughs> yeah. or magazine. It's very disturbing. It, it, his jerky motions in this are really creepy. Uh, yeah, I think that is more was more disturbing to me than him trying to like choke her with a ma- magazine. And when he's making the sound, like, it sounds like Donald Duck having a seizure. Yeah. <laughs> it's super weird. Yeah. And then so you get Parker who comes in with the fire extinguisher and clubs his freaking head off. Yeah, that's Which great. is rad. It yeah. looks awesome. And it's like the way it's dangling there. So when it comes to his innards, Ridley Scott wanted to make sure that everything looked kind of familiar. So it's a mix of pasta, caviar, milk, and marbles. Oh, hmm. super weird. But like when you see it, you know, it's that pastiness. It's something that is used in Metal Slug. When you play the arcade version of those games, rather than have blood, they have white milk to get around it. It's something that also you see Sam Raimi do successfully in Evil Dead. Yes. To get around some of the censorship. Very cool. I was glad that it wasn't like a goo. You know, like you right. always see that with like. I love androids when uh, the android gets ripped in half and it's like all the white everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like it really works. Because it's interesting. I agree. Then what? Yeah, Jake. That android is, of <laughs> course, Lance Henriksen from, or also known as Bishop, who then has yes. to pay off in Alien 3, where you get the real one. I like that a lot because it also sets the precedence of, you know, lifelike replicants, which is what you get into with David in Prometheus and yeah. Covenant. So I so, want to make that. After they rip off his head, they like then plug his head back in and talk to it. Which I really like. It's awesome looking. And basically he says like, oh... The directive is like you guys are all sacrificed. You know, you yeah. can all be sacrificed because we just want the alien. Yeah, and you're not a perfect organism. Exactly. He refers to it as perfect. And yeah, yeah, which Super I wrote perfect orgasm because I can't spell. <laughs> <laughs> it was said organism. Uh, Did it? Yeah. Well, oh, okay. When you look at all, oh, I think I also can't well, read. So what? <laughs> <laughs> I actually. Oh, did, did you change it? it? Oh, okay. <laughs> like when you put beacon, I, I I've changed it too. But like, my point is. It is a perfect orgasm because if you look at Ash at this point, he's covered in white goo, right? He literally, 
Ooh, sticky situation. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> so so th- Parker then blows it away with the flamethrower. Yep. Meaning Ash. And then they basically say, now there's only three of us. We could take the ship, the escape pod. Right. It is. And so they kind of break off to go set all that up. With the self-destruct sequence, they right. do like the, the cylindrical thing where she's pulling it up. Again, this kind of reminds me of Event Horizon when they're the air purifiers. It, it, you know, if you want to get hyper technical, it's also very phallic objects that are the destruction of this Nostromo and its cargo and because men ruin everything. She's jerking one handed. <laughs> she's trying to push it back down, and you you can't let put that demon back in a bottle that easy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so Parker gets offed. Lambert gets stabbed up the poop chute with a giant bony. Was it uh, bony M? <laughs> We're talking about <laughs> Ra Ra Rasputin, Russia's greatest love machine. <laughs> and then Ripley's all alone. Yes. So lonely. I'm so lonely. I've got nobody to yeah. call my own. Then she so hears she the damn it. cat. Yeah. God. She deserves That's to die I just hate for that. Cats. Yeah. <laughs> it was a dog. We were fine. Right. Exactly. Dog would be like, don't go over there, dude. <laughs> or don't. come, and then it would actually come to you. So she gets the cat, ends up on the ship, takes off. The big part of the ship explodes. So oh, she you're thinks, her, talking about her clothes where she's like, butt crack. Yeah. <laughs> Look at my butt crack. <laughs> butt crack, no bra. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's a bold choice. <laughs> well, I actually have that same underwear. In, you know, it's weird. It's, yeah. If you're going to be Sierra's in hypersleep like for 11 months, I mean, you want to be wearing close to nothing just to be comfortable. Air it out, yeah. right? Yeah. Whew. After Clammy the ventilation that we've seen on the helmets, you're going to want ventilation. Yeah, I think we what broke What were you guys here. expecting? Like crotchless panties or, I mean. Well, yeah, it's ergonomic to have crotchless panties in hypersleep, right? <laughs> Naturally. Oh, goodness. I feel like if I was in hypersleep for that long, my underwear would be corrosively destroyed from my taint sweat. So it better be. Even if it's supposed to Hopefully be cold. Hopefully it's like, you know, like temperature controlled in there. You'd hope. You'd hope. But like I said, the helmets aren't. So why would the pod be? Do you think they're Tempur-Pedic? <laughs> Do you think I have a sleep number on the side of it? I don't think you care because they're also like, oh, we're all going to go eat and they're going to have full stomachs and sleep on a full stomach for that long. Like you must not shit in the tube. Maybe it's maybe that's why she has her butt crack hanging out because there's a little <laughs> tube that goes up there. A thunk. <laughs> oh my gosh. We've actually seen a spaceship toilet. Yeah. Yeah, and that's when our daughter was first learning baby baby words. She's like, pee pee. <laughs> that, I was so proud. So proud. Uh, so she's about to go into the pod with the cat. And that's when she sees the alien in like the weird crevice trying to like just move around stretching. So yeah, exactly. Like it's such a weird like small movement. And she plays off like it's so stressful. And she's like sneaking to go over to get on into a suit. Right. And you're like, oh, this is like super suspenseful. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. And the actor was ripping the shit out of the Xenomorph costume as this whole thing happened. So they're using duct tape and paint to fix it when he's doing this. this is one of the more complicated elements because it's the most friction both against his body and against the set. Yeah. <laughs> duct tape. I like that. <laughs> it fixes everything. Yep. So she, not marriages, but let's continue. <laughs> 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 Note to yourself. (laughs) So then we have Sigourney Weaver, Ripley, Zool. Oh my goodness. Airlock, badoosh. After she's she's like halfway, she's in the the closet and she's getting scantily clad with her little space suit and the alien xenomorph is in the doorway and he's like, no, I don't want to go into space. It sucks. Get it? Because it's a vacuum of space. Yeah. And she shoots it with a (laughs) grappling hook like she's Michael Keaton. She's, I'm Batman. He's like, that movie doesn't come out for another eight years, dog. What the fuck? 
<laughs> actually, wait, it's way more than that. Yes. Yeah, my bad. Another decade. And so it gets dangling from the grappling hook, swings into this fun little area where there's a jet. <laughs> and they create the jet flames by just dropping a bunch of water onto a camera. Yeah. This part I thought was interesting. I was hoping it would like kind of disintegrate, but the alien's completely fine with like a full jet blast and just kind of drifts off into space. Yeah. Whatever. Because it's the perfect perfect organism. organism. The perfect orgasm. That's right. <laughs> I'm remaking this movie. The perfect orgasm. I'm sure it's already been. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it's probably. The porn parody. <laughs> the face hugger looks like you. Yeah. Just a guy and a little egg. or It's like a beanbag chair. It's not even an egg. And they're like, oh, what's this organism? You're like, come over here. I'll show you the perfect orgasm. And he's like, I don't consent to this. People are like, I don't see it. I think he's just attacked and it's a survival mechanism. <laughs> so anyway, is this movie a classic, a tragic, or a tra- tragic? Trashic. Trashic, tragic. It, for me, is obviously a classic that had the chance to be a tragic (laughs) so in terms of the current reigning defending is jaws as far as the best goes do you think this movie is more effective in beach jaws that's a different genre though i would not compare jaws in this movie like it's science fiction i don't know preferentially i like this one better i think that it does Clearly, it can be read into much more than Jaws. Like there are other social, you know, issues that are being addressed here that are not in Jaws. I think that the mastery of craft in terms of set design, creature design, acting, I think this movie definitely excels in that area because it's within the same decade as Jaws, but it feels light years apart, not even just because of the futuristic elements. I think that it really shows like what we, Chad and I were talking about. This is a crappy B movie done to the utmost perfection. And so I would say it's better, but that's my personal preference. I would agree with just all the lighting choices that they had to make and how, you know, they make the world look completely different than Earth and they make the spaceships very interesting. I don't know. I definitely enjoyed the visuals and the creature a lot. And they kind of did the same thing. Like the creature isn't super visible all the time like Jaws, you know, like Jaws does the same thing. But Jaws was a mistake that made it good. This movie, they did it on purpose. And also they had Jaws to look at as a template for success. Right. To be perfectly fair. Yeah. Okay, Chad, but you didn't give us a straight answer. Which one do you think is better? Hmm. <laughs> I was hoping we would just gloss over that. But I would... Well, I, I mean, it's already like a two vote. I know. So I mean... So it doesn't matter. So I'm safe. <laughs> if, you, if you would no, not like to share. <laughs> no, I definitely... I think I would say Alien. So we have a new classic champion. So the classic is that trashic is, of course, Blood Diner, which is going to be, you're just not going to beat it. And I guess. I still never seen it. it was, is the, I've actually seen it now. Oh. It's and? Good. I liked it. Okay. Crazy, right? Yeah. The, I'm just, just the waiting. Horrible effect Jake told me there's lots of boobs and I was like, I'm in, but he hasn't showed me the movie yet. Yeah. There's oh. a fair amount of boobs. What? <laughs> there <laughs> are a lot. I'd say it's a fair amount. It could go for more. What are you comparing it to? What, well, what has horror more, movie more has boobs more boobs? Uh, they could name a few. Oh, well. If I just close my eyes, you got like boobs. hundreds of boobs. They're just like racks, like, and I could pick sizes and stuff. You've seen <laughs> Aliens, right? Where you have all the people who are like glued to the walls. When I close my eyes, that's the way every wall in my mind palace from Sherlock Holmes. Was that the show Sherlock? Yeah. Well, all of the walls are boobs. Reason being, if I'm navigating in the dark, just 
go by touch. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm in the D section. Yeah. You know <laughs> Alphabetical order. I must get to the Z's. I cannot move in this room. <laughs> She's like, why did I stay up for this? Yeah, we're delirious. You guys don't need me anymore, right? <laughs> no, you're good. You're past. <laughs> so I think it's time for those last action lines. Slash you later. Enjoy killing time until next week. And for my lovely wife, who was just taken through the mud on this one, and I'm sorry for bringing up a bunch of weird, <laughs> awkward things, but they all needed to be addressed. For Chad, who is sitting there staring and looking at me like I'm the bad guy when it's his idea to do this movie. My name is Jake, reminding you to go out there and do something you love. And remember that all work and no power play makes Jack a dull boy. <laughs> In space, no one can hear you scream. That's right, for those of you super annoyed that I made a joke out of one of the most famous taglines in movie history at the start of the episode, I am doing you right and reconciling. I'm also making amends by providing you with a track by Face X Hugger. What's the name of that song, you ask? Oh, it's just In Space, No One Can Hear The X, featuring Shredder 1984. That's right. I done found you a musical artist entirely themed about the movie we just did in probably my master stroke on Hidden Tracks. Be sure to check out his show October 25th, which is a Friday, at the El Cid on Sunset in California. For those West Coasterners like me, if I didn't have a little face-hugging baby, I might probably try to go to that, but I definitely can't get the night off. So somebody go in my honor and hug Face X Hugger's face for me. Thanks.